the title of my message, Since God Chose You. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, God chose you. Would you do that? God chose you. Amen. Well, when I was a kid, I never got picked to go on to the small teams. Everybody had to be picked. Everybody had to be picked. I was always picked last. And I can still remember the words, okay, you, you know. Or I can sometimes remember there was another guy more klutzy than what I was. And I can remember one time the two captains of the team says, well, if I've got to take him, you've got to take him, you know. Garrison Keeler tells a similar kind of story. He says that he was a very klutzy kid. He said, I was always the last one to be chosen. And he said, sometimes, he said, I just wish that somebody would say, hey, I want the skinny kid. I want the kid that's got the thick glasses on. I want the kid that's got the dorky haircut. I want the kid that's wearing the black shoes that are out of style. And he says, if somebody would have chosen me like that, I would have responded with so much enthusiasm. I want you to know this morning, God chose you. Clunky shoes, thick glasses, unathletic. God chose you. He loved you. In the book of Ephesians says, he chose you from before the very foundation of the world. Can we give him another hand of praise for that this morning? God chose us. Last night, we were leading the prayer service, and sometimes I just kind of forget I'm on camera, or I forget we're live streaming. And I was praying about this, and I looked over at Becky while she was leading a song, and I said, I chose you. Come on, Victory. And she's like, get focus. You're praying. We're live streaming right now. I chose her. And friends, it feels good to be chosen. It feels good to be called upon. It feels good to be selected. There have been times when I've been called upon and chosen, and I've said, I need to know, first of all, before I accept or reject, I, I need to know, first of all, why have you chose me? Because I don't want to disappoint anybody. I'm a Southerner, and by nature, we want to please people as Southerners. By nature, we want, to, we want people to like us. And so I, I never want to disappoint somebody. So occasionally, I'm asked to do something, and I will go, why did you choose me? Why do you want me to do this? And Sometimes folks will say things that are so kind, like Dr. Rodney said to me behind this pulpit this morning. Now, you need to know what he said behind this pulpit, he often says to me in private. He's such an encourager, and it feels good to be encouraged and to know while you're chosen. So I'm going to ask if you would stand with me this morning out of respect for the word of the Lord. And I want us to look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12 this morning. And would you read it out loud with me? Follow along on the screen if you would. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I want you, after we sit down, I want you to circle that word in your outline or underline it if you're using the app at home. Underline that word, chose you, that phrase, chose you. And then I want you to circle the word gentleness. This morning, I got up, I got dressed, and then I remembered I have a wedding to do today. So I had to go change out of the clothes I was in to put on a something to be able to do a wedding because I won't have time between the services to go home and or after the services to go home and do the change for the wedding. So I, I didn't dress appropriately. 
And when I look at this verse of Scripture this morning, I often ask myself, did I dress appropriately for the day? Have I clothed myself in these character qualities that God has asked me to clothe myself with? Would you join me in prayer right now? Father, I believe that this is a living word for our congregation today. I believe it's a living word for people who are watching at home. And I ask you in the name of Jesus, God, we live in an angry world. We live in a season of, Lord, where it's like one thing has pancaked on top of another. There's been the political anger. There's been the civil unrest. Lord, there's been the pandemic. And Father, the economic now, Lord, it seems global warfare is happening with technology. We live in an angry world. And when I read this passage, Jesus, I honestly, interceding for the church before you and for all who will listen, Father, frankly, I'm not sure we'll really get it unless your Holy Spirit makes it real to us. Because, Lord, in our fallen humanity, I thank you that we are saved. But the whole Bible is written to talk to us about how we deal with the anger that's around us. So I pray in the name of Jesus, would you touch us and quicken our understanding of the word of the Lord. And God, help us to walk in that chosenness you've prepared for us. For it's in your name I pray. And everyone said... Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. This week, I buried a sweet, sweet lady that would have been 99 years old this coming week. Buried her, and as I stood with her husband, and we wept and cried together and read Scripture to him, I told him, I said, in the 22 years that I've been your wife's pastor, I've never heard her say a critical word about anybody. I've never heard her criticize one. I've never heard her be mean to anybody. Now, I will tell you, and I played it for him, and he had a real, real laugh out of this. I will tell you that the last time we took communion to them, and um, we went back because I forgot and left my phone in their house. And so when I got back to the house and she answered the door, she looked at me and she says, well, I thought I had finally gotten rid of you. And it just so happened that Becky recorded that. We had such a laugh off of that, but she was just carrying on. She was, a, she was someone that enjoyed laughter and humor. I loved her so much. But she was a woman that had been through a lot of pain. She was a woman that had experienced a husband that had walked out on her in the middle of a marriage. She was a woman that had experienced hurt in her life, but she never let that hurt make her bitter. I think about that sometimes, and I want to model that in my own life. I often find myself praying, Lord, at the end of my life, let everything that comes out of my mouth be edifying. Let it be encouraging. Lord, if for some reason you allow me to go through what I've seen other people go through, let nothing unclean, let nothing foul, let not anger, angry words or words that are not befitting a Christian come out of my mouth, but let my heart in my old age even be a pure fountain. I know that that's something you want as well. Every time I have gone in and been put to sleep and many times for surgery, and then when I go in every year as I start in the, in the month of August going through a battery of tests every year, and they 
some of these tests, they put me to sleep. One of my prayers always is, Lord, let nothing I say under anesthesia be dishonorable to you, but may it always be glorifying to you. And oftentimes, people have come out and said, you were praying. Sometimes they've come out and said, we didn't understand the language you were praying in. What other language do you speak? And so I tell them about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and how God gives these gifts to us. And you want a pure heart. And the way you have a pure heart is by the dove of the Holy Spirit resting in your heart. And the dove, because of its gentleness, has always been a symbol of God's power. The dove, because of his gentleness, her gentleness has always been the symbol of God's power in our lives. In Psalms 18, in verse 35, the psalmist David said these words, You have given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has supported me, and your gentleness has made me great. Now, you wouldn't think of a warrior king saying this about the Lord. What's made him great? is the gentleness of God. What's made him great is how God has responded to him and brought him along gently. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 49, Jesus said, I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And it's interesting that when the Holy Spirit, and we looked at this just a few months ago, when the Holy Spirit anointed Jesus for ministry, he descended it upon him in the bodily shape of a, of a dove. That's right. Because a dove has always been the symbol of God's spirit, but the symbol of God's gentleness. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church, they knew that Jesus was alive because the dove of the spirit came to rest upon them in power. It didn't make them obnoxious. It didn't cause them to amp up on people. It didn't make them abrasive, but instead they became like their, their master, their Lord, our Savior. They became gentle people like Jesus was gentle, fulfilling the prophecy that a bruised reed he would never break. As a matter of fact, Roald Amundsen, you probably heard of him. He discovered the South Pole, discovered the Magnetic North Pole. And when he got to the Magnetic North Pole, in those days, there was no cell phone, satellite communications. And so he released a homing pigeon, and the homing pigeon flew back to his home in Norway. And his wife was rejoicing because she knew something that the rest of the nation did not know Roald was alive. Her husband was alive. And when the dove of the Holy Spirit rests upon you, you rejoice because you know that you're serving an almighty God who in his power doesn't have to amp up, doesn't have to power up, doesn't have to be abrasive, but in his gentleness, God can change the most stubborn of hearts. And that's why some of us are in this room today. Can you say amen? We would have never been here if it hadn't been for the gentle Savior who came to us. I've often told you this, but the Bible is very, very clear that meekness or gentleness is power under control. Moses was a man who had real anger issues. Moses was a man that in his 40s, he killed an Egyptian because he didn't like the way he was treating his people, so he killed the guy. He got angry and just took his life. Moses was the man that after God told him what to do, he still got angry with the people, and instead of obeying God, he struck the rock the second time. 
I don't know about you, but I find a little bit of comfort in Moses' life because even though Moses still had anger issues towards the end of his life, God never gave up on Moses, and God will never give up on you and me. You see, gentleness is power under control. Gentleness will deflect anger. The Bible's real clear about that. Gentleness will deflect it. We live in an incubator for anger right now in our society. The more I've reflected and kind of meditated and gone through the news, we live in a, a society that is just incubating anger through our news media, through our social media. Anger is constantly being stirred up and heated up. I, I prayed about several things this morning, the pandemic, the civil unrest, the political unrest, the economic unrest, the global unrest. And as we watch these things, it's like putting eggs in an incubator. Eventually, they're going to hatch. It's what the old people used to mean when they'd say the chickens are going to come home to roost. We live in a time where people get on television and my wife can't hardly stand it. One will start talking and the other will talk louder. Then the other one will talk louder and pretty soon there's a screaming match and we're sucking all of that in. Recently, I was talking to my mother and I heard my mother talk with such anger such vehemence coming out of her mouth, vitrolic. And I said, Mother, what is wrong with you? She said, I don't know, but I just, and she called several politicians' names out. I just hate them. I said, Mama, you don't hate anybody. I said, what's going on? She says, I guess I'm just watching too much Fox News. <laughs> I said, Mama, you got to go on a fast of Fox News because you just sinned. My mom said, how did I sin? I said, you said you hated so-and-so and so-and-so. Well, I don't really hate them. I just said that. Oh, I said, mama. Mamas don't like it when their babies preach back to them, especially southern mamas. I said, mama, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You need to pray. She says, you need to be quiet. <laughs> A gentle... <laughs> I hope she doesn't listen to this because I will be in monk of trouble. <clears throat> a gentle answer deflects anger. Mark, we will use the second service, and I will not use that illustration in the second service this morning. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. You see what's happening? My mother is mirroring back what she's hearing on the news. And you may watch MSNBC where they do the same thing, the most liberal news channel that there is. And you'll find yourself doing what my mother goes. You know, you hate this one. You become like the people or the media that you hang out with all the time. You begin to reflect their behavior. Second thing the Bible says is that gentleness will disarm critics. Gentleness will disarm critics. I find myself constantly praying, God, give me tough skin and a tender heart. Give me the skin of a rhinoceros, and Lord, give me a very gentle and a tender heart. you got to have in this culture that we live in today, if you're going to be a witness for Christ, if you're going to be an ambassador for Jesus, you've got to have tough skin and a tender heart because you're going to be criticized. We looked at this just a little bit last week, but let me come back to it again this morning. You see, the best answer you can give a critic is your life. You need to write that down. That won't cost you anything. 
The best answer you can give your critics is your life. How you live your life, how you speak, how you talk, the fruit of your life. When Colonel George Washington Guthels was, was digging the Panama Canal, he was getting all kinds of criticism from the, from the press. He was getting all kinds of criticism from politicians. And his name was like mud. If you've ever read about the story and the building of the Panama Canal, he was constantly being criticized. And finally, a colleague said to him, aren't you going to answer these critics? And Guthels says, in time. And his colleague says, when? And he says, when the canal is finished. You see, how you live your life, how I live my life, that's going to be the answer. The way we talk and the way we speak to people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13, we appeal gently when evil things are said about us, yet we're treated like the world's garbage, like everybody's trash, right up to the present moment. We appeal gently. And I'm going to tell you, critics will be harsh to you. Critics will treat your name like it's nothing. Critics will talk bad about it. Critics, when they can't impugn your character, they will question your character. And what you have to do is respond gently because if you raise your voice, they raise their voice. And then you raise your voice a little louder, and soon you're out of control. You say, well, how do I answer my critics? Well, you live your life for Jesus. You love your family. You love your wife. You love your kids. You love your church. You continue to do every day, dig the canal a little bit more, fight the mosquitoes a little bit more, deal with the corruption in the Panamanian government and the corruption in the U.S. government at the time. You deal with it every day, but you stay above board because gentleness will soften even the most stubborn hearts. Gentleness will soften even the most stubborn hearts. John Chrysotom, that I've often quoted to you, was a pastor. He was known as the golden tongue preacher, but listen to what Chrysotom says. Do you see what a great thing gentleness is? How it stings our hearts more than vehemence? It inflicts indeed a keener wound, for in the case of bodies that have become callous, a blow does not affect the sense so powerfully. In other words, somebody that's muscled up and hard, you hit them, it doesn't hurt them so bad. So he's talking about character. But if someone first softens them, makes them tender, then a stab is effective. Likewise, here one must soften, and that which softens is not wrath, not vehement accusation, not reproach, but gentleness. What is Pastor Chrysotom saying to his congregation in that day? Screaming never works. Gossiping never works. Yelling never works. But a gentle heart and a gentle spirit, when you're screaming, when you're gossiping, you're creating fear and you're creating resentment. Parents, when you're screaming at your children, you've already lost control. You don't want your children to fear you. You don't want your children to resent you. When you scream at your employees, you've already lost control. You've already created some resentment and created some fear in their lives. You want them to trust you. That doesn't mean you don't ever have to deal with what's wrong. That doesn't mean you don't ever have to deal with the problem. But you deal with the problem the way Christ dealt with us. In our hometown, mine and Becky's hometown back in the 90s, 
There was a wrestler known as the American Dream. Any wrestling fans in here you like to watch? I know you don't want to admit it, but I got a couple honest people in here. His name was Dusty Rhodes, the great. How many of you have ever heard of Dusty Rhodes? See, now the rest of you were lying. You had been watching that. Dusty Rhodes, the great American dream, and he advertised for a guy in our community that owned five-star Dodge dealership. And Dusty, with his bleached blonde hair, and his muscles would come out there, and, and the owner, they would scream, and they would yell. They would pound cars. They would scream at people. And, you know, this is the greatest deal. Tell them Dusty sent you the great American dream. I've often wondered today, would that sell a car? I don't think anybody would want to go to a car dealership today that Dusty Rhodes was standing out there in the front screaming. It's a different day. It's a different time we live in. People seek to be persuaded, not to be yelled at. You see, the more mature you are, the wiser you are, the more gentle you become. And maybe that's why elderly people are known for their gentleness. Maybe that's why I hear so many times from their children, my dad has a much more tender heart than he used to. My mom has a much more tender heart than he used to, she used to. Maybe it's because we mature, because when we're screaming and we're yelling, we're not being mature. Anybody that's screaming and yelling at you, that's not a wise person. That's not a persuasive person. If you're negative, if you're critical, if you're always yelling and screaming, you're just simply not a very smart individual. You're just simply not very intelligent, and you're certainly not persuasive because the more mature and the wise you become, the more gentle your words are. It's amazing to listen to the words of Jesus, how they're clung to, how they're held on to. It's amazing to read the Psalms and their gentleness and how they come to people. It's amazing to read the blessings of God. Does God ever deal with things that are uncomfortable? Yes, because gentleness is love in action. Doesn't mean that we don't confront what's wrong. Gentleness is love in action. If you love your children, you'll correct your children. Wives, if your husband is going off track, if you love him, you'll counsel him, you'll pray for him, you'll try to help him get back on track. Husbands, if you love your wives, you'll do the same thing because screaming and nagging will never work. Look how God led Israel. In Hosea chapter 11 and verse 4, I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love, and I, I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck, and I stooped and fed them. What's he saying? When they got off track, when they were sinning, when they were going wrong, God says, I put cords around them, and I gently led them. I didn't snatch them. I didn't yell at them. I didn't beat them but I gently pulled them. Let me read it to you out of the contemporary English version. I led them with kindness and love, not with ropes. I held them close to me, and I bent down to feed them. Jesus was love in action. This is what you see Jesus doing. 
One of the most remarkable stories in the Bible to me is when the woman who was called in adultery was brought and thrown at the feet of Jesus as his master, the law of Moses says, we should stone her. What say ye? And Jesus just simply knelt down and began to scribble in the sand. Her accusers are standing there. She's definitely done wrong. She's definitely sinned. The man who was with her had sinned, but they didn't bother to bring him as well. But they brought her. It's not that they did, she didn't do wrong. If she did wrong, they were being harsh. They wanted to stone her. Jesus scribbled in the sand and finally looked at them and says, he that was out sin, let him cast the first stone. He that is without sin, let him be the first critic. He that was out sin, let him be the first one to scream. He that is without sin, let him be the first one to condemn. He that is without sin, let him be the first one to gossip about somebody else. Because when you do that, you're murdering somebody's reputation. When you do that, you're creating fear in your child. When you scream at them, they won't know how to act towards their employers or their employees. When you treat them like that, like they're little slaves, they're going to expect to be treated like that by their bosses. All of us have a boss. All of us have somebody we answer to. And so it's important that we learn to lead with kindness and love. And then Jesus, after all of her accusers left, he looked at her and he says, woman, and it's really, it doesn't come through in the English, but in the Greek, it's very affectionate. The American, Ameri Aramaic, it's very affectionate. Woman, it's like if I said to you, Camilla, if I said to you, Laura, he says, where are your accusers? And she says, Lord, there are none. You see, God chose you. And in his presence, there is no one that can accuse you. In his presence, there is no one that can condemn you. In his presence, there is no one that can abuse you. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? You say, was God angry at sin? Oh, you better believe God was angry at sin. And Jesus was headed to the cross to take care of that issue as he took our sins upon himself. But then he said to this woman, he says, now, honey, go and sin no more. When I look at a lady from our church named Mary working in the streets of Detroit, even though her husband is in a 24-hour care center for over a year, he's been in this, 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 this state that he can't respond, and yet I see her as love in action. When I see a woman from our congregation who spent herself for a number of years caring for her mom until she could no longer care for her at home, and she lovingly finds and seeks out the best care center for her and visits her, I see love in action. The man, when I buried his wife this year, he spent all this week, he spent all these years caring for his wife, loving her, taking care of her. He's got to find a new purpose for his life. I see love in action. When I see people on our mission trips as they're working and they're ministering to those who live in the streets and the destitute as well as the wealthy, I see love in action. You see people that are gentle, they love lost people. And people aren't going to trust Jesus until first of all, they can trust you and I in the church. That's the reason that the best answer we give our critics is our life. I have friends that are Muslim. I have friends that are Hindu. I have friends that are 
atheists. I have friends that are, are Jewish. I have friends that are, are agnostic, whatever that means as I talk to them. I have friends that are Republican and Democrat. And here's one thing I found out. Because I'm friends with those people, what they're reading is not the Bible. They are reading my life. They're not asking me, can I trust the Bible? They're asking me, can I trust you? They're not asking me if the Bible is true. They are asking me, is the God you preach about, is he true inside of you? And the thing I have found, I don't get criticism from the world for befriending these people. I get criticism from Christians who sometimes think that it's not right to be friends with lost people. If it's not right to be friends with lost people, throw the New Testament away because Jesus came not to seek the saved, but to seek and save the lost. Somebody say amen this morning. What they're asking, are you, are you loving? Are you gentle? Are you the real deal? Are you compassionate? Our former general superintendent, Thomas Trask, was fond of using a word, and I would tease him sometime. He loved the word phenomenal. Phenomenal. One time he was with me and was looking at something. He goes, oh, this is phenomenal, Dennis. This is phenomenal. We're having lunch together, Becky and I, and he and his wife, Shirley, we're having lunch together, and he scolds, it's phenomenal. And I just reached across and said, that's yet to be seen. <laughs> it's phenomenal. And as I was working on this message, I could keep hearing, we call him Brother Trask, I could keep hearing Brother Trask in my ears and in my head. Gentleness is the phenomenal presence of Christ in a Christian. If you want to know how to identify a Christian, it's not that they cross all the T's and dot all the I's. It's not that they're perfect, but like Moses, they still may have some anger issues. Like Peter, they may still have some people-pleasing issues. Like Paul, they may still have some issues. But brothers and sisters, one thing that marks a man or a woman of God is the gentle dove of the Holy Spirit is the phenomenal presence of God residing in our lives. Jonathan Edwards in that powerful book I've recommended to you before, a treaty concerning religious affections, he said these words, never did he, Jesus, appear so much a lamb, never did he so much show so much of the dove-like spirit as at that time if therefore we see any of the followers of Christ in the midst of the most violent, unreasonable, and wicked opposition of God's and his own enemies, maintaining all this temptation, the humility, the quietness, and gentleness of a lamb, and the harmlessness, and the love, and the sweetness of a dove, we may well judge, here is a good soldier of Jesus Christ. What's he saying? He's saying, I live in the time of an anger incubator. I live in a time of an anger incubator. And if we're going to represent Christ, we cannot respond like the world. We have to respond like the people of God and clothe ourselves, especially in gentleness. Jesus said these words as we get ready to take communion this morning. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and I'm gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. I'm often asked to pray a benediction. 
And as long as I can pray in the name of Jesus, I accept the benediction. That's just a conviction of mine. Some others may differ, and I don't have any truck with them, but as long as I can pray in the name of Jesus, I accept the invitation. I prepare, I pray, just like I do for our benedictions, because the word bene means good, diction means saying. I want to pray something good from the Word of God. The Bible says, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. That's a benediction. I hope you know that the purpose of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus is to give you a rich, a full, a satisfying life. Jesus makes this incredible promise, if you'll stand with me this morning. And I want you to read it with me. Go ahead and put it on the screen, please. Now, read it first quietly to yourself. You're watching at home. You read it on the screen as well. Now, let's read it together. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. One more time. Blessed are are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. That's an awesome promise. God says this planet is going to be yours if you live gentle in the presence of God and other people. There's four things I want you to know this morning. I want you to know God loves you. I want you to know that the reason Christ could be gentle with that woman and not like her accusers is because Christ took your sins and my sins to the cross. Christ deflected God's anger from us and God loved you so much. No, don't miss this. Don't miss this. The reason God can choose you and me in our sin. The reason God can hold you and me in our sinfulness is because God let go of Jesus at Calvary. And when Jesus said those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No one else in this room, no one else watching online can say that this morning because God let go of Jesus so he could hold you. God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son for you. Second thing I want you to know is if you and I want to receive all that God has for us, we have to acknowledge our sinfulness. We have to confess. We have to admit until I admit I need a Savior, until I admit, admit that I need Jesus, there's no hope. The anger incubator will only increase. It's the reason the Bible says everyone has sinned. We've all fall short of God's glorious standard. I promise you, I probably fell far shorter than you did. I'm not just saying that. I fell far shorter than you did. God sent his son to die for my sins. And then finally, a gentle confidence is the miracle of faith in Christ. Now, I want you to pay attention to this verse. This is important. Not only those of you in here, but those of you at home, listen. It is who you are 
It is who you are. Not what you say and do that counts. Your true being brims over into true words and deeds. You cannot. You cannot do these things successfully unless, first of all, you ask Christ to come into your heart and change you. Because you will be so frustrated trying to deflect anger with gentleness unless Jesus is Lord of your heart. It has to come from who you are. The reason people condemned is because who they were. The reason Jesus forgave is because of who he is. The reason they were harsh, it's because of who they were. The reason Jesus was gentle, it's because of who he is. And when you and I accept Christ, all things, all of it, all of it, all things pass away and all things become new. I need an usher or someone to please bring me some communion so I can lead us in communion and I'm going to pray for us right now. I'm going to ask you to give your heart to Jesus. Would you do that? Would you trust him this morning? Bow your heads with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for being willing to send your son to die for my sins. I believe, I know, I feel it inside. You love me. And that you sent Christ to die for my sins. And I am so conscious of how much I need you right now. Holy Spirit, wash it all away. Wash it all away. And come into my heart. And I rejoice because you chose me. You chose me. I'm not last. I'm not the leftovers. I am not the last one, Lord. You chose me from the very beginning. That's what your word says. So for the first time in my life, I feel like I've been chosen first. Thank you, Lord. Now, would you tell him how much you love him? And this church is praying for you right now. This church is just asking God to touch you and to fill you with a confidence, a gentle confidence that comes from Christ. You're his son. You're his daughter. God bless you. You can be seated. If you just prayed that prayer with me, then I want you to, I want you just to hang in there while we take communion. You take it with us if you've got juice or crackers. Matter of fact, if you don't have any juice or crackers, your pantry, you just get a piece of bread and you get something to drink. And next time you can be ready. I wouldn't have been ready my first time at home. But if you gave your heart to Christ in this building this morning for the first time, you join us as well. We thank you for the body of Christ. Broken for us. We thank you for the blood of Christ. Shed for us. 
We thank you for how you drew us gently with cords of love, and you've taken us to yourself, and you fed us. Lord, you give us these gifts to remember you by, but also to remember Christ is coming again. For it's in your name I pray. Amen. Let's break the bread and eat. Hallelujah. Let's open the cup now. Lord, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes away all of our sins. We thank you the Lord Jesus, if we are faithful and just to confess our sins, whether we sin like Moses or Peter, even though we started fresh for you, Lord, there are times when we lapse, and we thank you for the blood of Jesus. When we confess our sins, that we know that you are just and faithful to forgive us. Let's drink together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me this morning? Now may the gentle Savior, whenever you wander off track or whether you wander off course, May he gently draw you with cords of love. And when you feel that tug of the Holy Spirit, may God bless you with a heart that says, Here am I, Lord, I will follow, and not be like the mule that is stubborn in its ways. And as God leads you in paths of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, may all men and women find Christ in your life. Be blessed, be prosperous, and be productive in all you do for him today. God bless you. You're dismissed this morning.